Welcome to today's episode on the Life in the Front Office podcast. I'm your host, Jake Hirschman, and here with Adam Zimmerman, SVP of the Atlanta Braves on the uh, series with the University of Florida Sports Management Program, Sports Business Insights with Gator Nation. Uh, Adam was a graduate of the, the proud Florida Gators, and we're really excited to talk to him today about not only his career path, but his experiences in the industry, as well as uh, his last couple of years with the Atlanta Braves and uh, SunTrust Park, the new stadium and, and everything that's gone into it. So Adam, welcome to the podcast. Hey Jake, thanks for having me and go Gators. You know, it's, it's I like to be able to say that, you know, living in Atlanta, Georgia, like I do, we're, we're not too popular up here. Okay. But so I'm, gives me great pleasure to say go Gators from Atlanta, Georgia. You know, I moving to Florida, I learned that that everyone either says go Knowles, go Gators, or go Dogs, and there's pretty much nothing else. <laughs> I know, so, I, know. I hear it a lot. I, you know, and Athens is a wonderful place. It's a great place to go and see a show and and hang out. You know, I reserve the right to dislike them one Saturday a year. I think that that's fair. Oh, that's fair, definitely. And so, yeah. but but at the same time, you know, you work for the Braves and. Um, and and that is that is not the Georgia Bulldogs. So let's talk a little bit about baseball. And you know, one would say, well, you know, you're the SVP of the Atlanta Braves. How did you get there, right? And we'll also talk about um, what you do and your role and and the the multifaceted aspect of it as well. Uh, so you you spent some time in Gainesville, and then what happened after that? You know, I, I love Gainesville. So, in fact, I probably loved Gainesville a little too much my first couple years if you, if you talk to my mom and dad. But that's another story for a different day. But uh, uh, I live down Broward Hall and uh, Broward Beach and play a lot of hoops out there, play a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, hoops over by where Hume is. And I don't know if there's still basketball courts over there. But, um, yeah, I, I think I probably majored in pickup basketball my first two years at UF, but I loved it. You know, I, I grew up um, in Dunedin, Florida, right by Clearwater, Tampa Bay area. So uh, I grew up loving the Gators um, my whole life. And so, you know, it was a, it was a dream come true to, to be able to go to school there. And, uh, and, and my undergraduate degree, I, I actually was not on a course for sports business at all. In fact, when I was in school, the idea of sports business as a formalized degree, as you well know, having gone to, you know, Ohio U and, and programs that then became specializing in sports business, that was very much in its infancy. So, you know, I grew up loving sports. And once I realized that, um, you know, I wasn't going to play for the Gators, um, that um, I ran track and cross country, not at UF, but, but growing up. And so, you know, sports and all of what that meant to me was really, really important. And over the course of my career at UF, I had a, a friend's friend who was in uh, UAA, University Athletic Association, which is the athletic department. That's what they called it at that time. And, and they needed some helpers to just do some various things. And so um, I started to work as an undergrad at what was called the Office of Student Life, which was the, the service to help uh, collegiate athletes with various and sundry things. And and um, at my time at UAA, I started to really understand, oh my gosh, well, there's all of this stuff that goes on behind the scenes so that when I go to 
Florida field or I go to a basketball game or I go to a volleyball match, there's all of this that has to go into it and somebody has to figure that out. And I became increasingly fascinated with that as I was getting my degree. <clears throat> and my degree uh, was in history and my in history was on, on cultural history. In fact, I actually wrote one of my thesis on the 1968 Olympics and all of the activism that was occurring with African-American athletes in the Olympics in 1968. So I, I had in sort of an interest from history and sports as a nexus. And I just got more and more into what I was learning at UAA. And um, I was, went back to Dunedin you know, on break and the plan was to go to law school because that's what you did when you didn't know what to do back then. Like, well, I, I don't really have a plan, so I'll go to law school. And my parents were super cool and, about it. And I said, hey, uh, I sort of fallen in love with this whole sports business thing. And, and I don't really know what that means, but I'd like to pursue it and kind of see where that takes me. And so my folks were like, cool, you know, we, we want you to explore that if it's path yours you know, go explore that for a little bit and we'll see where it goes. And then, you know, you know, you can always go to law school if that's a choice you make. So I went back to UF and, and, I, and I got myself enrolled in what at the time was a very fledgling um, sports management program at UF. And um, again, you know, this is, this is early 90s, right? So there's not a whole lot of sophistication as it relates to that. But I thought that that was a mandatory of what I needed to do. And uh, so I, I started to become a student, get a graduate degree, and then I continued to work at UAA. And I think now, Jake, you, you would appreciate that those two worlds probably have synced up. But at the time, you know, I'd go to school and I'd listen, and then I'd go across the street to UAA and be like, I don't really know if that's kind of like the way we roll across the street and the athletic department is a little different from what I'm learning in the classroom right now. And everything has gotten a lot more sophisticated in sports business since then. Uh, and it was a wonderful experience. I ended up landing an internship at the University of Michigan, um, where I was actually born. My parents met as students at University of Michigan. So that was a nice sort of family connect. And uh, I went up there at the height of the Fab Five. So picture leaving University of Florida you know, like right when Spurrier has arrived and then I go up north and I go to the Midwest where the University of Michigan is just on fire because of these kids, these dynamic kids that are literally changing the face of college basketball. So, so that was an amazing uh, uh, experience in between while I finished out my degree. And uh, so I, I, I came back to UF. I, I had an, an opportunity to to continue to work in UA and, and see where that was going to take me. But as a young guy who had grown up in Florida, the allure of moving to the big city, um, you know, in Tampa at that point was not what Tampa is today. It was still, I love it. It was, a, but it was a little sleepy back then. It wasn't near where it was. And I wasn't really a South Florida guy. So I had a bunch of friends who had moved up as part of the great Southern migration Florida State and Florida people moving up to Atlanta. And I moved to Atlanta uh, in advance of the Olympics. And um, there was a lot going on here. And I got an internship 
through a gentleman who was wonderful to me named Jimmy Carnes, who is deceased, uh, but it was the track coach at University of Florida and actually would have coached the 1980 Olympic team had there not been the boycott. He was very kind to me and a good life lesson for me is to always try and help people who can't help you. And, you know, uh, I had nothing I could offer Jimmy Carnes. I was a kid. I just got in front of him and he was kind enough to make a couple phone calls and start my career here in Atlanta. And I worked on some test events here in preparation for the, uh, for the Olympic games. And that led me to a grassroots organization, which I think the state of Florida still has, Jake, called the Sunshine State Games. The equivalent up here was the Georgia State Games. And in order to hold the events, you had to have evidence of amateur sports events and activities. So I did that uh, and then eventually got a chance to work in uh, ACOG, Atlanta Committee for the Olympic Games, and their sponsor services. And this is the, the lesson that I try to impart to students when I talk to them is that I date myself, but you know, remember like these, these really were sort of starting the, they weren't really, no one really had them. So if my assignment was, here's Jake Hirschman, he's an executive, he's coming into Atlanta and your job, Adam, is to pick him up and drive him around because he's going to look at venues and he's going to go to meetings. You know, I'm ostensibly your person. I would stand down at Hartsfield airport with my little sign waiting for Jake. And, you know, things weren't, you didn't get an update on your app. Maybe your flight was delayed. Maybe you didn't get on it. Don't know. But I stood there in my suit and waited for you until you came. And, and there was no Facebook, Instagram, Twitter to look up a picture. I mean, no, was, I didn't know who you were. I stood there with my little sign and hoped upon hope that you were relatively on time. Now, the only cool thing out of this deal, well, there were a lot of cool things, but I made, I know everybody, oh, I made no money. I, I, had, I had three treasured things. Okay. I had a Texaco gas card, which was awesome. I had a little card that gave you any Coke or Powerade or water you wanted. Awesome. And they threw me the keys to a seven series BMW because that was my ride. Okay. Cause I can't take corporate executives around in the car that I was driving at the time. So it was cool. And I usually got like one, maybe two dates out of it. Cause I go and pick up a young lady in my seven series. You're like, yeah, I'm rolling pretty deep for a young guy. And then she figured out that I ate the dollar menu and lived with like three dudes to make ends meet. But you know, Hey, it worked out, but start from somewhere. We have to. And, and the point there is, is that, you know, I, I, uh, I, I started to get frustrated, right? Because here I've got a master's degree and I remember being like, man, I'm, 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 I'm a chauffeur with no disrespect to people who do that. But I'm like, this isn't what I thought I was going to sign up for, right? I'm, I'm taking Jake Hirschman around and I'm driving him, you know, to Savannah. I'm driving him down to Columbus. He's looking at venues like, you know, what am I doing here? And then I started to realize, Jake, that, that, um, my bosses would, would ask me at the end of the day, they'd say, well, now you were, you were with Jake all day today, you know, like, well, what, what's, what's he, what did he think? What, what's he up to? And, and, and I got good at listening. And I also got good at, at, um, at, at not sharing what I, I wasn't asked to share. And, and it became sort of an unspoken alliance between several of these clients and me that I could be sort of the relay the message of like, well, you know, he didn't like this, or he's pretty excited about that, or 
you know, da 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 da, da. and and it, and it got me into a mindset of, oh wait a minute, this is a real gift. You know, I'm I'm able to be with these executives who are trying to show return on investment for these significant Olympic investments, and I can be helpful, and 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 this is helping my my client and and helping my own career. And, and, and that became something that became very valuable to me, but I fought it. I fought it hard. And I used to complain about it that, man, I can't believe it. I'm just like in my suit, sweating my butt off, driving people around until I started to realize the importance of being able to listen, keep people's confidence and help them solve problems. And there was also probably a fine line of, of, of asking questions, asking the right questions, and you couldn't just sit there silent because that's also a little bit awkward too. But at the same time, maybe maybe you're supposed to, right? Um, yeah. But but there's no iPhone, right? For him to for for that executive to you know record anything. I mean, it's just it's just you and him or you yeah. and her, right? Wow. And, and and so mm -hmm. as you think about that experience and how you take it into your work today, uh, I would have to imagine that asking the right question to your point, is a skill also in the sense of if you ask the right questions, more than likely you'll get the right answers, or at least the answers that uh, will help you lead yourself to the next answer, right? Or the that's next question. And, and it also, Jake, I think one of the skills that we need in the workplace today is to be endlessly curious, right? So um, surround yourself with people that push you, um, people who are interested in different subject matter than you are. And in order to have a conversation with people, and I, I know we'll get into a little bit about, you know, my, who I manage and what I manage, but in order to be able to have the right conversations and ask the right questions to your point, I, I have to study, I have to listen and learn and, and, you know, it's going to stretch you and, and you're, you, you're going to need to commit to that. And, and if that comes with curiosity, I think that's all the better. And when you say curiosity, it's one thing to just say, hey, you need to be curious or you need to ask curious questions or have a curious mind. But when you really think about it and intently, you know, listen to someone or you're, you're, you're thinking about how do I be curious, right? It's, it's, like the, it's like the simple question of, well, just go network. Well, how right. do I network? Right. right? How do you be curious? Um, I think you have to be open to it, right? I, I think you have to, um, um, I, I, and I always tell people to Jake, that I think what makes you a better sports marketer, a better sports business professional is, is have a life outside of sports, right? If you're just sports, sports, sports all the time, and that's all you read, and that's all you surround yourself with, you're, you're not going to get stimulated. In fact, some of my best ideas come from outside of sports. I'll give you an example. And a couple years ago, say what you want to about Kanye West, okay? Uh, I happen to think Kanye West is a creative genius, all right? And a few years ago, you might remember this tour. He, he had a stage that would descend from up top, right? Uh, you might remember this. And, and so... People thought, oh, it's, you know, it's typical Kanye West. The stage is going to sort of descend and then right on the floor, like we're used to stages for thousands of years, right? Going back to the Greeks and the Romans, except Kanye's stage stopped. It so then all of a sudden you can watch it on, you know, there's a video of it. I think it was in Indianapolis, the first show. So people who think they're VIP are like, wait a minute, I'm under the stage. How does this work? 
I'm, there, I'm supposed to be in front of the stage. And the people who paid less money were eye level with the artist. And it was just him and his DJ. And it blew my mind because everybody had to adjust, right? The VIP people had to be like, hey, yeah, cool. We're still VIP. Now we're dancing under the stage. This is cool. And the people who paid less money were eye level. And it started to inspire me to like, well, what if things weren't where they always were? Okay. So I know that that's kind of esoteric, but like, what if you looked at your venue or you looked at how you did things and everything was just sort of tilted? So we took that into our baseball execution and we were like, well, what could we change? You know, let's just use this Kanye West and, and example and be inspired by it. Like what, well, well, we can't run the bases backwards. We can't fundamentally change the game. We can't change how the field is, but aren't sideways. Right. Exactly. And then we started to go, well, you know, what would be cool. Like the broadcasters are always like right over home plate, right? Jake, you know, this is a former baseball player, right over home plate, but what if they weren't, what if we moved them? And so we started to put them in different parts of the ballpark and we ended up putting them out in the outfield and what we call the chop house and it's open air and they call the game from right field instead of from behind home plate in the booth. And we got a lot of innovation out of that. They loved it. It gave us a different look from the game. Fans dug it. So a long winded way of telling you that, you know, be creative, be inspired, be curious about what's happening, not just within your own vertical, but how can you be inspired by what's going on in the world? Well, and, and there's always something that you can take from the outside and probably implement in your context, right? Mm -hmm. uh, whether it's a piece of technology or whether it's a, um, who knows what it might be, right? Maybe you can somehow take that Kanye concert and put it in SunTrust Park, right? And, right. Um, you know, I think the way in which that you think about the entertainment piece is, is different than the fans think about it, different than the players think about it, different than... Uh, you know, the, the average person who doesn't know a whole lot about baseball thinks about it. And so when you right. think about the experience and the context of you guys building a new baseball park, what went into it in the sense of, you know, your mind, your role and the marketing aspect of it, as opposed to what the facilities person is thinking about it or what the ticket sales person is thinking about it? A great question you know and, and I was recruited to come over to the Braves as we were closing down Turner Field and as we were opening SunTrust now Truist Park and you know I, I had worked in the Atlanta sports business for a number of years I had worked for a very prominent agent in town which we can get into if you'd like and my my boss who's the president and CEO of the team he and I had known each other and you know I knew enough of, to be dangerous about like what the new park was going to you know conceptually, but when he really pulled back, you know, the, the screen on it and said, let me show you what our aspiration is. I was like, oh man, I have to be a part of this. This is this really amazing. And you've seen so many, so many franchises um, get into the model that quite frankly, I think we're one of the teams that pioneered, which is the idea that we own and operate an 80 acre footprint. So let me say that again. We own and operate an 80 acre footprint. And on that footprint is we're in partnership with Live Nation on a 4,000 seat music venue. We're in partnership with the Omni on a hotel. We have commercial real estate. Comcast Southeast headquarters is here. There's lots of bars and restaurants and other retail. Um, and of course we have the park. 
And, and from, let me start from a business perspective first, Jake. You know, what, what's interesting about the model is that, as you well know, right, there are, there are four traditional ways to make money in professional sports. And we've added a fifth with commercial real estate as an asset class. So, you know, and, and people who own teams tend to get bored by, uh, well, let me project for you, Jake, you know, what sponsorship revenue is going to be. And as you know, that's often multi-year deals. And, you know, it's a little bit of bump each year. Media rights is locked and merchandise is locked and tickets and all things building. Okay. But then you start to get into commercial real estate and that's where finance people get really excited. Whoa, whoa, wait a minute. We've got all of this and we can sell that and, you know, we can do rent here. And so having commercial real estate as an asset class from a business perspective has tremendously increased the value of the Atlanta Braves franchise. And we're a publicly traded company. You can look it up. So, and again, at the end of the day, the core of sports business, particularly in my world, is we are revenue generating businesses, right? So either we're either there's an ownership group or there's an entity that owns a team and like every other business, you need to show that you're making money. So from a big picture perspective, the introduction of commercial real estate has more than achieved the business perspective on that. Now, when you get into the fan engagement part um, and fan experience, which is a phrase I hate, but we'll talk about here in a second because I want to dissect it for you. The ability for us to control a lot of what you do when you come on campus, that you, you can come early, you can stay late, you can watch the game outside while you're having dinner on the TVs and then go in and maybe have a beer in the plaza. And increasingly, you're able to customize your experience at our footprint. Um, and we can talk to you over the course of many, many hours around our core baseball proposition. But I want you to come up there when we're on the road. And I want you to come up there and watch the Gators play, right? So from perspective, I think about the battery, which is the companion project to Truist Park, 365 days a year. My purview is to think about how I get Jake to go to Braves games, how I get him to come up and watch the Gators, how I get him to come to shows, how I get him to take his wife, girlfriend to dinner. You know, that's all of the things that my role has to contemplate. Well, and the commercial real estate piece is, is fascinating in that you're not the only organization to do that, right? You're seeing others that are starting to continue, you know, the, the Detroit, you know, and the Illich family has done that up in, in, in their properties with the Red Wings and the Tigers. You've got, you know, San Francisco is building that right now with the Giants and their district and the list goes on and on, right? It's going to continue to build. Um, but around you is just your stadium right a lot of these these examples that i just gave are multiple venues right you might have baseball and basketball or basketball and football or whatever it might be and there's multiple things going on right. but you, you guys own that that block right that 80 square you know 80,000 yeah. feet that you were talking about yeah and we had you know we we sold them but we had apartments that were up there we had 500 apartments that you know that we we're, we're responsible. We had an entity that, that was renting that. And then it became attractive to my point about our finance. People were like, yes, we have a buyer for those apartments. And that made sense. Right. So we sold those apartments and then they used some of that revenue to 
to spur another growth part of the battery so that the battery continues to grow. But you know, it's, it's, it's all one entity, if you will. It's all part of the overall revenue stream of the Atlanta Braves. Absolutely. And then, you know, I'll, I'll say two, two things real quick as we kind of gear towards the lat, you know, we'll say for baseball terms, the seventh inning of the episode, right. Of, you know, from a revenue standpoint, there are only so many games that go on at the park, right? So what other events are you guys doing to generate revenue and, and, or, generate you know the the visits to the restaurants and the hotel and and all that sort of stuff right from an entertainment perspective but then on the second aspect of it marketing and and the term marketing gets loosely thrown around in a lot of different ways now but marketing ultimately at at the foundation of it is the purpose is to generate revenue and and I think sometimes that can get lost in translation, right? But the, the whole idea of marketing is to generate revenue. Mm-hmm. So let me, t- let me, first part of your question. So, you know, we, we look to program the battery year round. So we lean in hard, for example, to college football. Why wouldn't we? Now, back when geographic territory meant something before that little thing called the internet, you know, where, where teams literally had a fixed geography, Jake, as you well know, like, hey, you can only market, you know, in these particular states, we have an enormous territory, right? We have the state of Georgia, Alabama, the Carolinas, Tennessee, Mississippi. And actually, even though we don't go there, we're the second most popular team in the state of Florida behind not the Marlins, not the Rays, but the Magic, the New York Yankees. Oh. Yep. Yankees are far and away the most popular baseball team in Florida. So point being is that we, we go hard into college football. So we created, as an example, a merchandise line that's Braves Florida, Braves Georgia, Braves Auburn, Braves Tennessee. And we sell an enormous amount of merchandise because we know our fans love the Braves, but they also love their favorite college football team. And in the Deep South, as we both know, that helps me move the needle. So as an example, fall, we'll go ahead and college football and we do a lot of activation there. We promote our shows that we have coming through. We'll program holidays. We do a couple special huge events to get you ready for, you know, we do New Year's, we get you ready for the Brave season. So we program the entire year from that perspective. Um, but, but back to your second point, my, my role is, as you exactly said, is to help generate and help support revenue, right? So if I'm not helping ticket sales, sell season tickets or individual single game tickets, if I'm not helping sponsorships sell, I'm not doing my job. If I'm not thinking about ancillary revenue sources, like I just described, co-branded merchandise with colleges, I'm not doing my job. And how do I get at that? The role of marketing has changed dramatically. I would even say, Jake, not even in the last three years, but probably in the last 18 months you know, and just in terms of the velocity of what you understand and the tool you need to use. Well, and, and you think about all the different, not only do you have the property of the battery, right, but uh, a good friend and, you know, Dean Taylor, who helped spearhead the project for the new spring training stadium, right, you've got that property as well. I mean, yep. there, there's a lot of different touch points that you can utilize from a platform perspective, but to your point, then there's everything on, on the, the wild, wild west of social media and digital media and this streaming and that streaming, right? Uh, and you think about all the different ways in which you can engage fans. 
outside of just Atlanta, right? Yes. And there's plenty of Braves fans. You know, you mentioned the Yankees fans being the second or the, or the highest, you know, fan base in Florida. But, you know, Braves fans, they might be that ranking in another state, right, that may not mm-hmm. have a major league team. And data helps me uncover that. And, and you know, what I, what I say to students now is I used, to, I used to have a different answer for you even a couple of years ago of what I think the, the, the place to be is for the next iteration of, of sports. Um, and I would still say content creators, people who can produce and edit content are going to win. But that needs to get mashed up with people who understand data and analytics, right? Because the whole point of social media is not yay, Jake liked my video or he retweeted it. I don't care. What I want is, can I get an email? Can I get one-on-one with Jake where I can market to him and put him on a customer journey? So people who understand data and analytics and CRM and can get me into not just, you know, predictive analytics, um, you know, or descriptive, but actually prescriptive. If you are looking at data and you're able to draw an insight out for me that I can use, that becomes actionable, that then my creative team can work off of, that's a win. So um, that's a lot of what we do. Well, and you just mentioned one thing in, in that, you know, in a roundabout way of you're, you're the marketer, you're working with the data team, you're working with the content team, you're working with the sponsorship team, the ticket team, there's a lot of teamwork that goes on, right? Everyone has to understand what everyone does and how they can all help each other. Uh, and I want you, as we finish this episode up, I want you to kind of dive into, you know, what is uh, the, the most important thing that you've learned about uh, not being the smart, you know, smartest person in the room and, and being able to rely upon others to help you uh, and achieve, you know, the goals with the team. That's a great question, you know, and, and, and I think to our earlier point, you know, I, I have to study a lot. I have to be disciplined um, to get my mind right because I, I'm going to have a lot of different conversations. I'm going to have to maybe take the same message the way that I talk to my data team is going to be different than the way that I talk to my creative team, right? I can't have one uniform conversation. And so, um, you know, I, I, I commit to working out. Um, it helps clear my head. It gets my mind right. You know, that kind of sets my, my intention for my day. And then to your point, my job is to, is to get people to work cross-functionally and to get people to rally around one central idea, which is my job to articulate very clearly. Here's what success looks like. Okay. This is what is important. This is what we're driving on. And then I have to connect the dots from different people who can contribute to that in a way that everybody understands what everybody else is doing, because you're going to have different people that are weighing in on it. And, and like I said, you know, it can become exhausting to, I think to today's modern executive, because you're, you're, you're constantly distilling one central message, a lot of different constituents in a way that they can understand and connect to it. And then your job is to coalesce everybody Um, because you can't, you can't work in silos today in today's world there's too much overlap well and and you can't do it on your first day of the job either right and you're working with a new group a new team people go in and out people change organizations there's a constant uh, I would say change is a constant right and you're always having to adapt to change Um, so last thing for you you're a history buff 
What's the piece of trivia you got for us, for all of our listeners? What's the piece of trivia that I have for you? Oh, gosh. You know, let's see. You know, it's interesting to me how, how sports has been connective tissue throughout society, right? That, you know, when, when you go back through time and you go back through cultures, you know, the importance of sport, the way of, of national pride as a way of uplift. And so I think when, when sports is done well, um, it's a beautiful and transformative thing. So, you know, I, I am always inspired in my industry that sports has, has really been a long, around as long as humans have. No, that's great. And Adam, really appreciate your time. And uh, thank you for your, your insights on, you know, the world of sports business in which we live in. Uh, and being part of this this episode series with University of Florida Sports Management Program representing the Gator Nation. Thank you, Jake. I've really enjoyed it.